0: and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com. So I
1: was walking to the shop with my sister, my older sister, and the dog was staring at me. I got terrified and uh, he jumped on my arm and he bit me. That's Anna, a young girl from
2: Birmingham in the UK, who was attacked last weekend by an American bully XL Cross, a fairly new breed of dog that's been involved in several fatal attacks, like the one that killed 10-year-old Jack Liz in 2021.
3: If Jack was attacked by a Jack Russell or a small dog, I can guarantee you he'd be next to me. But these XL bullies
2: have got the power to kill. A video of the attack on Anna and the two men who tried to help her has reignited a debate about whether or not this breed should be banned. The Home Secretary has called for American XL bullies to become a banned breed under the Dangerous Dogs Act. Suella Braverman said they are a clear and lethal danger, especially to children. The conversation often comes down to, are the dogs the problem or the owners? Nature or nurture? So today we're asking, what do we know about the American Bully XL breed? Are these dogs just genetically predisposed to be aggressive and violent? And if they are, is a ban the answer? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Jessica Murray, you're the Guardian's Midlands correspondent, and you've recently written about this breed of dog, the American Bully XL. When I looked at pictures of these dogs, it kind of looked like they'd been working out at the gym quite hard.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I think they're, um, they're kind of bred for that appearance. You know, very strong, very muscly. They can grow up to be over nine stone. A lot of the owners that I spoke to who have them said, you know that they absolutely love them they believe that theirs are you know very tame and and well behaved and and well trained but um these are very big dogs. You can't get around that. You know, one guy I spoke to said that he has two and he said, you know, I wouldn't let anyone else walk both of them at the same time because if they both see another dog or a cat or something and kind of go off, then, you know, he doesn't kind of trust anyone else to kind of have the strength or the dominance over the dogs to to be able to to hold them back and restrain them. So he is the only person who uh, walks both of them at the same time. And because
2: of their their build and their size, have they become something of a status symbol?
3: Yeah, and I think with the XL Bully, there is concern that they are attractive to certain, maybe more irresponsible owners. You know, there's been investigations which have proved that a lot of XL Bully breeders are linked to organised crime. So I think there is concern that this breed has just unfortunately kind of attracted the wrong kind of people who've bred them for the wrong reasons. And that has led a number of them to have unfavourable or violent characteristics, which then are potentially passed down um, when they're bred. So
2: they've been bred for these kinds of features. But where have these dogs actually come
3: from? Uh, yeah, so the American Bully is a fairly new breed. Uh, we think it was first introduced to the UK around 2014-2015. Again, also not 100% sure of exactly where the breed came from, but it's believed that the American Pit Bull Terrier, which was of course banned in the UK uh, back in the 90s, it's believed that that is one of the, the parent breeds of this dog. So yeah, so it, it's it's very new breed and, and it's not um, actually recognised by the UK Kennel Club. So there is Still a a sort of lack of data of exactly how many of these dogs are in the UK is definitely in the thousands, although we don't have a specific figure. And as
2: you said, you've spoken to some American Bully XL owners and you said that, you know, they, they saw their own dogs as very kind of sweet and amenable. But what else did they say about their experience of ownership?
3: Yeah, so uh, all the owners that I spoke to, uh, obviously, you know, it's it's a very emotional subject. Um, you know, for a lot of people, their dog is is a family member. And they talked about how much a part of their life that their dog was. You know, they might, you know, dress them up in Christmas jumpers at Christmas time, that kind of thing. They're very sort of well-trained, lovable. They talked about them sort of being really good with kids that they, you know, they're perfectly comfortable with with their, their XL bullies being around kids, their children or nieces and nephews. And couldn't even comprehend that their dog was being portrayed in the media as a sort of killer breed. Well, let's talk about how the
2: breed is being portrayed and what's going on in the news at the moment. Because we're speaking about this because the UK's Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, is now seeking urgent advice on banning this breed following a number of attacks and deaths of humans and of other dogs. So, how many incidents are we talking about? How many have there been in the past few years?
3: the reason that this debate has kind of been sparked now i think is because the data is really starting to show that there has been a really sharp increase in, in dog attacks so we know for example in 2018 there was about 16,000 uh, injuries from an out of control dog uh, and that was up to 22,000 in 2022 and unfortunately as well a rising number of fatalities so i think last year there was 10 fatal dog attacks and six of them involved a bully xl so that's kind of the crucial thing that's a picture is starting to be painted where It seems like the Bully XL breed is potentially one of the main perpetrators of these attacks, although there is a lack of data kind of showing, you know, which breeds are are, are really responsible.
2: And other dogs have been banned before, which have posed a similar threat. So which ones aren't allowed in the UK at the moment? And do we know exactly why each one was banned in the first place?
3: Uh, Yeah, so the dogs that are banned at the moment are the Pitbull Terrier, the Japanese Tosa, the Dogo Argentino and the Fila Brasileiro. Um, So yeah, so they were brought in in the Dangerous Dogs Act in 1991, which came off the back of a similar kind of scenario that we're in now, which was a spate of fatal dog attacks and concern about some of the breeds that were potentially responsible for that. Again, somewhat argue that there isn't enough evidence to prove that those particular dog breeds were more disposed to violence than others, uh, which is exactly the same kind of debate we're having now. And there are organisations like the RSPCA who who are really strongly against breed-specific legislation, essentially you know banning certain breeds of dog because they believe that there just isn't the evidence to prove that certain breeds are more violent than others, uh, and they think dogs should be judged on their deed, not breed i.e., you know, you shouldn't kind of stereotype a whole breed because of some particularly violent dogs. So
2: what do we know about the role of breed on behaviour? Studies looking at the genomes and behaviour of thousands of dogs have found that there are associations between DNA and traits. Trainability, chasing and aggression appear to be the most heritable but researchers also found that the genetics of particular breeds contributes just 9% to behaviour. You might expect breeds to behave in a certain way on average, but it's definitely not a predictor. As ever, it's nature and nurture. So if that's the case, do we need to reconsider our expectations of dog ownership? Jessica Pears, you're a bioethicist and author, and you've recently written a book, Who's a Good Dog?, which is all about how we reframe how we see dogs and how we can become better caregivers to them. And first off, I'd really like to get your view on our changing relationships with our dogs, because they've really gone from a working tool to members of our close family.
4: The relationship of dogs and humans has always been one of companionship and employment. And I think in some ways that's not different now. Being our companions and providing emotional support for us is still a form of work. And it's a work that can be quite stressful for dogs. I think there's a tendency to think, oh, well, Dogs who live as pets just have these really cushy, easy lives. And, you know, we're kind of surprised when something goes wrong in the relationship or we have challenges like aggressive behavior. Dogs are living in environments that are challenging for them. And they're exposed to a lot of stimuli in the environment that could potentially make them feel stressed out, frustrated, anxious, fearful, And there's no such thing as a bad dog in my mind. There are dogs who are struggling to adapt. There are dogs who are struggling to understand what we are asking of them. But they're not bad. You know, a lot of behaviours get labelled as bad, barking, being aggressive. Oftentimes these are behaviours that are actually quite natural to a dog. And, you know, in this
2: episode we've been talking about american bully xls these were bred to to fight or their lineages were bred to fight and i wonder if we're making a a big ethical mistake that in some sense we're creating these dogs and setting them up to fail almost in the same way that we've done with smaller dogs where we have bred them to be cute but now they have often really bad health problems
4: I think we've been cavalier in our breeding choices, and there are breeds of dog who have been deliberately, selectively bred for aggression because they've been used, for example, in blood sport. You can't just brush that under the rug and say that doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that the dogs themselves, the individual dogs, are aggressive, Aggression is not a breed issue. It's an individual dog issue. We have to consider nature and nurture both. So paying extreme attention to how these dogs are bred to make sure that there isn't inbreeding, that there isn't early trauma that might trigger later episodes of aggression. And there may be dogs who should only be in the hands of experienced owners Um, I'd say any large dog um, would fit that category.
2: From what you've said, I do wonder whether all of us should actually be taking our pet ownership a bit more seriously. You know, I think very often that I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to my cats. You know, they're complex animals with a lot of needs and desires. And maybe the conclusion is just that less of us should have pets in general.
4: I do come to that conclusion in my own mind, and it sounds like a really cranky thing to say, but taking on the responsibility for another animal's life is a huge responsibility ethically. You know, I think part of what happens is that the expectations for for dog ownership that have been set up by the media and by the pet industry are are really unrealistic. And in fact, it's a lot messier and far more challenging and before we get a dog we have to know we are bringing into our home a somewhat potentially dangerous creature if we don't you know set things up for all of us to succeed
2: Jessica, the UK is now considering the evidence in view of a ban of the American Bully XL breed of dog following some really serious and distressing incidents. But bearing in mind everything that we've talked about, I'd really
4: be interested in your view on that. My understanding of breed specific legislation, at least as it's played out in the United States, is that it doesn't really get to the root of the problem. It demonizes entire breeds of dog rather than inviting us to pay attention to the specifics of individual dog-human interactions and relationships. And I don't think that that is the best way forward. I think we need to do much better public education about. How safely to interact with dogs and it would be nice to get educational materials into the hands of everyone who owns a dog about dog body language because probably some of these episodes could have been could have been prevented.
2: So, Jessica Murray, we've just heard from bioethicist Jessica Pierce about the potential limitations of a breed ban and using education as an alternative. So, for those who don't agree that a breed should be banned outright, what kind of other options are being put on the table?
3: In terms of solutions uh, that don't involve banning the breed, uh you know, I think uh, there was a lot of frustration among um, animal welfare organizations that the government dropped its um, kept animals bill. That would have introduced things such as restricting the importation of dogs um, from other countries, other countries which maybe don't have the same kind of animal welfare uh, laws that we have here. And it would have also banned the importation of dogs with cropped ears, which is another uh, major issue um, among American bully breeds. And and those dogs are potentially the kind of dogs who haven't had the best kind of start in life or maybe been bred in an environment which is is not ideal and therefore could have gone on to be kind of problematic. There's also a kind of feeling that a lot of XL Bully breeders are not licensed you know in this country if you breed I think it's more than three litters a year you need to have a license and there's a sort of general consensus that a lot of breeders are not licensed and therefore there's not a lot of oversight into kind of what environment these dogs are, are being brought into. Um, and then I think education is a huge factor as well you know I think um, the kennel club did some research earlier this year uh, where they surveyed dog owners and I think it was about three quarters he said that they know how to read their dog's dog's body language you know they know the signs that would suggest that their dog is upset or fearful but then when actually questioned on on those certain kind of um, behaviors for example uh, a dog yawning or licking its lips or kind of staring with really wide eyes these are all behaviors that suggest a dog is is stressed or um, is experiencing anxiety and fear but a lot of owners didn't know those specific signs so I think there is um You know, there's a call for education around dog welfare and also the signs that a dog's in distress. I mean, just that dog that we were sort of seeing the footage of over the weekend in Birmingham, who was was attacking people. There was a suggestion that that dog was suffering from heat exhaustion. Obviously, you know, we were in a really extreme um, heat wave last week, and perhaps that could have been one of the factors that led that dog to kind of going out of control like that.
2: And of course, for people who were impacted by dog bites and and dog attacks, it's critical that we do take action. And we now know that the owner of the dog that attacked people in Birmingham last weekend has been arrested on suspicion of possessing a dog dangerously out of control. But whether or not this breed gets banned, it seems like this is a good start for a conversation about how we go forward.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we've seen this week, um, the mother of Jack Liss, who was uh, a 10-year-old boy who was killed by an XL bully when he was visiting, um, I think it was a school friend, and he he was attacked there. I mean, she's kind of been speaking out about it and saying, you know, uh, while she really welcomes the fact that we're having this conversation now, she's like, how has it taken this long to happen? You know, she thinks that, you know, the fatalities that we've seen so far should have been enough to kind of trigger a debate. But I think there's definitely a sense that there, there needs to be something to kind of clamp down on this.
2: Well, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on, Jess. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Jessica Murray and to Jessica Pearce. Before you go, we're doing a survey of Guardian podcast listeners at the moment. And it would be great if you, our wonderful Science Weekly audience, could do it too. When you listen on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to Science Weekly, those podcast platforms don't share much about you with us, which is probably a good thing, but it means the only way to find out more about you is to ask. And with more information, we can hopefully bring you more of what you're after. So that's what we're doing. It should only take you about five to ten minutes, so please go to theguardian.com forward slash podcast survey. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by me, Madeline Finlay, and Eli Block. It was sound designed by Tony Onuchuku. And the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.
0: Hello guys, this is Shantae, the host of The Guardian's Pop Culture Podcast. We're back for more. And listen, when it comes to pop culture, if you're talking about it, we've got it covered. As an extra treat for you, I'm going to be at the London Podcast Show in King's Place on Sunday the 17th of September with the expert matchmaker, Paul C. Brunson. You know, our fave Married at First Sight expert. Do you want to find your perfect partner in life? Then you have to come and see us. Paul has all the tips and tricks. Get your tickets in person or go to kingsplace.co.uk forward slash popculture. This is The Guardian.